Hallelujah. Jesus, we just are overwhelmed with gratitude as we consider all that you have done for us. And Lord, in this time, as we are gathered here to bring honor and praise to you, we ask, Lord, our deepest desire is that you may be honored by the offering of our praise to you. And Lord, we now offer ourselves before you to receive your word and the offering of obedience to be transformed, Lord, in the renewing of our mind, even this day, Lord, come and speak to us. You who are the living eternal word, come and speak your now word for this day. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. This morning we are continuing a study that we've begun um, shortly after Easter, entitled A New Way, The Letter to the Ephesians. And today the title of my message is New Life, and Our scripture is going to be out of Ephesians chapter 4, so if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there, and while you're finding that, you can also use the Bible located in front of you um, to do this. While you're finding um, that scripture, I just want to tell you a a small story to kind of lead us into our study this morning. A a father was talking to his young son, and um, his father was seeking to Uh, help his son to understand what Christianity actually is all about and what it means to be a Christian. And so he was doing some discipleship, he was speaking into his son's life, and he was explaining about what that meant and what were the, the attitudes and actions and the perspectives and outlook that someone who is a follower of Christ, what that would look like and what were kind of the parameters of that and the dynamics involved in being a Christian. And as the conversation unfolded, the young boy asked a number of perceptive questions, which the father did in his very best to try to answer. And at the very end of the conversation, the boy asked his father a question that dad never ever could shake for the rest of his life. And the little boy, the young boy, asked his dad after all of this conversation, Dad, Have I ever met a Christian? And that question pierced the Father's heart. And perhaps that question might pierce our hearts this morning. We're coming to a portion of Ephesians which has a very strong prophetic edge to it. The first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays out this grand vision for a new community, a new society, a new people. And he, he seeks to sort of enlarge our vision and expand our gaze beyond what we have been able to see up until this point. And he shows us, and it's an incredible vision, and it's a glorious vision that he gives to us, ending with his incredible prayer at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. He gives this amazing prayer for the church. And then he turns his attention from there to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, 
as a prisoner for the Lord then, or therefore, therefore as a prisoner for the Lord. In other words, in light of all of this expansive vision that I have given to you, I'm going to urge you now to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So in sort of preacher terms, exegetical terms, he moves from the indicative, here's how things are, to the imperative, now here's what you need to do with that. Understanding this vision of who you are, when you begin to know, we've said this like countless times over the last few years, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. So now, people of Ephesus, people of these churches in Asia Minor to whom this letter is going to, people here in St. Paul, Minnesota in 2014, now that you know who you are, here's how I want you to act, here's what I want you to do with who you are. I want you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. As we looked at last week, that means that our character and conduct is being consistently conformed to the character and conduct of Christ. And that is how that little boy or that little girl or that young man or young woman or that old man or old woman are going to know that they have met a Christian, a true follower of Christ. This morning, our passage is going to open up, actually pave the way for the next five weeks of messages. Because over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means, this new life that God has called us into, what it means to actually live that out in our speech, in our sexuality, in our motivations, in our attitudes, in all kinds of different dimensions of our practical daily life, how, what does it mean to live this worthy life? What does it mean, as it says in verse 17, as we begin here, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do. In fact, we're going to read now the rest of that passage through verse 24. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We are no longer to be conformed in character and conduct to our old pagan way of life. We are no longer to be conformed. He uses very strong words here. So I tell you this and insist on it. The root word here in the Greek is actually the word for martyr. I am calling you, you know, he's saying, I'm giving everything that I have to insist on this. This this is worth dying for, people, Paul says. I'm insisting on on your behalf. 
And so if you can hear the word of the Lord penetrating into your spirit today, hear the word of the Lord insisting, penetrating. He is willing to lay his life down for this word to penetrate into our hearts. And as your pastor here this morning, here in this house, in this year of growing maturity, I want to call us as a congregation into a new life in Christ. And as we prayed this morning, had this very strong sense, and in and, and the prayers, I walked into prayer that was happening, and it was a very strong sense that salvation was visiting the house today, and that there are those, and you may have heard a message multiple times in your life, or this may be the first time you've heard this message, but today, the Lord wants to bring us out of our old life and into new life in Him. Because he loves you way too much to leave you the way you are. All right. So let's unpack this if we could. Let's look at the old life. Again, Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. So I tell you this, insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Wow. All right. So let's look at what this old life consists of. First of all, it begins, the root of the old life is hardness of heart. He, he says it here. He says, because of, he says right here in the midst that is in them due to, in other words, the root reason behind this is hardness of heart. The word is interesting. Again, in the Greek, it's poron, which, which has to do with a, a kind of hard marble, but literally it can be translated to petrify, which means a gradual process of hardening. I don't think anyone begins their life sort of with a fully hardened heart. <laughs> you look at these beautiful new babies or, or you know, you look in the, the eyes of, have, have I told you about Levi, um, my grandson, uh, lately? He's past his birth weight now. He's doing great. But you look in the eye, you know, and you realize, okay, they're, you know, we... We could get a lot very theological here, but, but we don't begin our lives with a fully hardened heart to the Lord. It's a gradual process that takes place if we're not paying attention. There's a gradual process of petrifying of our heart, a gradual process of hardening. That hardening as... Hebrews 3, 7, 8 says, the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not, we, and that, that hardening, we have a choice in this. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Again, the people of God and the people of Israel is given to us. The history of the Old Testament is a revelation of the ongoing Relationship between God and his people and their ongoing process of both hardening and then unhardening their hearts. 
But he says, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now, this hardening of heart has some very specific results. Go back to your passage. Look at verses 17 to 19, and you're going to watch these unfold. The first is that there is a darkening of our minds. There is a darkening of our minds. We have a dark mind. There is the, the word here he uses, and some of your translations will use futility of their thinking. Some will use vanity. All of them have a root word of idolatry, an emptiness, a purposelessness, an inability to distinguish between right and wrong. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There is a purposelessness. There is an emptiness. There is an idolatry. There is a misfocus, which becomes an inability in the darkening of mind to even distinguish between right and wrong. The Bible is very clear there comes a time when people call wrong right and right wrong. That comes from a darkening of mind that is a result of hardening of heart. But it doesn't end there. It continues. We're talking about the old life. It it continues with a dead soul. Alienated. It says right there in the scripture, they've been alienated from the life of God. Ephesians 2 laid this out just a few couple chapters before what we're looking at this morning. As for you, which talks about me and you, as for us, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the way of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. We were the walking dead. We looked alive on the outside, but on the inside, we were dead in our soul because we were alienated from the true life of God. We were dead. We were dead. And as a result of that, the kind of the outward expression of that, using an old word that kind of goes along because it's a good D word, along with dark mind and dead soul, is a dissolute life. And Paul goes on very clearly and says it's a life of less viciousness, of uncleanness, of greediness. And literally, the greediness both speaks of a greediness in terms of financial greediness, but it's also in the context of even of the other things. There's a continual lust for more. In other words, there's never enough. Paul Harvey, um, the rest of the story, you know, the the radio commentator told, told the story of how Eskimos trap and kill wolves. Forgive me, small ears, this is kind of graphic, but you probably won't forget this. Here's how an Eskimo traps and kills a wolf. He will take his hunting blade, which is honed to a razor-sharp edge, and he'll take animal blood, and he pours the animal blood on the blade until it freezes, and he does that over and over and over again until the blade is completely covered and completely hidden by that blood of animals that have frozen on the blade. Then he will take his hunting blade and he will place it 
um, with the sheet down with the, the, the base of it. What's the base of a blade called? The, the what? The hilt. The hilt of the blade will go down into the frozen ground. He'll put it there with the blade sticking out of the ground. And at night, when the wolves go out to hunt, they'll scent that blood. And the wolf will come, and he will scent the blood on the blade, and he will begin to lick the blade. And he licks and licks, and the more he licks, the more he wants to lick. And he begins to lick and lick, and pretty soon the blade, which has been covered in the frozen blood of dead animals, that blood is gone, but the blade in its keenness is, is so exposed that now the wolf begins to, its own tongue begins to get cut by the blade, and it's actually, without knowing it, is beginning to lick his own blood. And that wolf will eventually bleed out and die right there. Sorry. And now go home and have lunch. No, um. <laughs> but that is a powerful picture of what Paul is talking about. It's the picture of what he goes into greater depth in Romans chapter 1. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. This is hard for modern, postmodern, 21st century American culture ears to hear. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and foolish hearts were darkened. He uses the very similar words here. Foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. Evil and greed and depravity, they're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice and their gossips and slanders and God-haters and insolent and arrogant and boastful and they invent ways of doing evil and they disobey their parents. And they're senseless and faithless and heartless and ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. Hmm, I told you this was a prophetic word. Well, it's not the end of the story. 
he goes on and he says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. See, here's what we need to understand. In this school of the Spirit, so excited about the training school that the Keens are going to be establishing over in Thailand, so important. At the center of whatever school they establish, whatever school God establishes, wherever he establishes on the earth, in that school of the Spirit, Jesus is the subject, he is the teacher, and he is the schoolroom itself. That's what this word up here actually means. So as it says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. It all begins and ends and is centered around and founded in and depth in Christ. The only way out of the old life and into the new life is through and in Jesus. He is the one. He is the subject. He is the teacher. And he is the schoolroom. He's everything. So what do we do? What's this old life? turning into the new life. What does the new life look like? Well, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's the two words that I want you to hear as we close this morning. The first is conversion. We must put off the old life. This means a definitive, decisive, and permanent repudiation of our old selves. Did you see that? Catch those three words, because that's what it means to put off. It means take it off. Definitely, decisively, and permanently. Romans 6, 6, and 7, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We are no longer slaves to the old life. This is good news, people. (laughs) This is really good news. So conversion means turning away from and turning towards that New life, putting on the new life. And that means a definitive, decisive, and permanent embodying of our new selves created in the image of God. As it says in Colossians 3, 9, and 10, don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You've put on. So we put off the old self and put on the new self which is more and more being conformed into the image of the creator into the image of God it's a definitive decisive putting on of new clothes somewhere today you all put off some old clothes and put on some new ones all right I'm not wearing the same clothes I did yesterday when I biked for 21 miles with Arthur and crew. It was beautiful, and it was long, and it was great. But I ain't wearing the same clothes. You wouldn't want me to be wearing the same clothes, trust me. I put them off to put on new ones. All right. 
the process of the putting off and the putting on is both that. It is both point and process. It is a definitive, decisive, deliberate decision that we make to put off and to put on. It's permanent. We walk from darkness into light. And the process is one of transformation through a renewing of our mind. Just as the old self, the old life is darkened in its mind, the new life becomes renewed through a daily, deliberate reorientation and renewal of our outlook. Would you please write that down or write it in your heart? Because this is what needs to happen for us to begin to live this new life. It's a daily, deliberate reorientation and renewal of our outlook. Romans 12, 2, which we've quoted like a bazillion times here, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's transformation. Conversion is the point with, with which you put off the old self to put on the new self. Transformation is the process of living into the reality of that new self. Does that make sense? So we're going to be looking at this over the next several weeks, what that looks like, boots on the ground, rubber hit the road, how that affects, again, my speech, my sexuality, my motivations, my attitudes, just numbers of different areas. We're going to discover what this looks like. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. But this morning, the invitation to you and the call to you is the call to put off and to put on And it's the call to ongoing transformation. And you know, that hardening of the heart, that gradual petrifying, I'm not sure how this works theologically. I know that we've come out of darkness and into light, and yet in the reality of our daily lives, there are times where we still find ourselves walking in shadows of the old life, of the old darkened life. There's still shadows around And sometimes those shadows begin to find their way into our heart and we find our heart beginning to harden to the truth and reality of God. And so we get ourselves caught in certain things that we don't want to let go of, whatever those things might be. And we'll, again, be talking about those in the weeks to come. But, but today, I just have this strong sense of God's invitation to us to put off and to put on. And I have this strong sense of God's call to us today to continue the process of transformation. So for some of you, today is the point. It's the point of saying, okay, you know, I've been steering my own life and um, I see some of the results of that. And it's just not, and, and I want to put off the old self and put on the new. And if you're ready to make that point today, I'm going to encourage you to come on down and you can talk to Tom and Kathy here or Pastor Ben and Hannah or these guys over here. Denise would be happy to pray with you and Seal, I'm sure. And they're just ready to, 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 to pray with you if you want to take and, and step out and step into the new life. Maybe you just need to walk out the process in a new way today. Maybe that transformation, the renewing of your mind, and you need to walk into that. And you recognize there's areas in your heart that have been 
sort of hardening up and there's been some darkening of the mind, some deadening of your soul, some results of that in your life. And today, the invitation is come. Come and let him clean and cleanse. So let's stand together as we sing. And the altar is open if you want to come. Here we go. Lord Jesus, hear the prayer of your people's heart today. We are asking you to do your divine surgery once again in all of our hearts. Create in us that clean heart, Lord. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Lord, where we have hearts of stone, give us hearts of flesh. Lord, we just expose ourselves to you today and say, yes, whatever you want to do in us today, Lord, do it, we pray. And in this house, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who walk in newness of life, that those who go around can say, yes, I've met a Christian. I've met someone who is truly a follower of Christ. Jesus, change our hearts, I pray. Do this work your glory in Jesus' name. And now if you would just open your hands to receive the benediction. And if you're here at the altar, you're going to be invited to stay there as long as you need. And if you need to come to the altar or pray with someone, find someone and pray with. We're just going to do a benediction, but that doesn't mean we're done. For those that would need to stay, desire to stay, continue. Please, in worship, you're going to Visit Brian and Becky in the back at their booth, if you would, and encourage them today as well. It would be wonderful if you're part of the uh, summer kids celebration team. You're going to find your way up here to the end of the hall up here at the veggie room for the meeting. And now with open hands, I pray that you would be filled afresh this day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. Be blessed, people of God, as you go. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God bless you.